0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, February 7th episode. That would be episode 160 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The uh, Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble, I I realize I've been saying proud member, and I I really am not big on pride. I struggle with it enough, but very humbly have been made, excuse me, a member of the Christian podcast community, Christian podcast community. You can go find their podcasts at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I would definitely recommend you go look, look for some of them and listen to some of them. There are some amazing, amazing podcasts out there um, for you to listen to. Um, honestly, if you get out there and you find some you like better than listening to me, I would encourage you to listen. Um, I, I have a number of them on my listening list, and I'd like to put more. I just hadn't figured out a way to have do the time, though I have considered um, a suggestion <laughs> from my pastor um, who actually speeds them up a little bit so that he can listen to more so, or can listen to them in a shorter amount of time. So I, I, I may have to try that so I can fit more in, but anyways, so that is what we are doing. That, that is where we are today. I, we, I am a member of the Christian podcast community. Very, very grateful my, for my brothers and sisters in Christ for ex- accepting me into that community. Um, we're going to continue on today in our Bible study reading from our, uh, 2023 reading plan um, that you'll find in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you will find a link to the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Um, what we are trying to do, we are trying to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can then <clears throat> shift gears and move on to setting up developing a Christian classic education based school for our community to provide an alternative for the parents and grandparents in the area to provide for their children. So, um, I would definitely encourage you to go ahead and click on the link and go read, read about what we're trying to do. It's a little bit more in, in depth than what I've just said. <clears throat> Sorry, a little coffee here. Um, but would definitely would encourage you to go read that. And then we'd ask of you three things. We'd ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving, and we would ask you to pass along the link for other people to do the same. Alright, with all that said, let's go ahead and open up our time together this morning. And I thank you for coming and spending the, your time with me. But open up, let's open up our time this morning, with the, as we usually do on Tuesday, with the third-day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is Thine, made by Thy word, upheld by Thy power, governed by Thy will. But Thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the Holy Scriptures, the joyful Gospel, the Saviour of souls. We come to Thee in Jesus' name, make mention of His righteousness only, plead His obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honourable. May we be justified by His blood, saved by His life, joined to His Spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, Excite in us, abhorrence of sin. Wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. And now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, This is for February 7th. And the text for it is Micah 2.10. Arise and depart. The hour is approaching when the message will come to us as it comes to all. Arise and go forth from the home in which thou hast dwelt, from the city in which thou hast done thy business, from thy family, from thy friends. Arise and take thy last journey. And what know we of the journey, and what know we of the country to which we are bound? A little we have read thereof, and somewhat has been revealed to us by the Spirit, but how little do we know of the realms of the future? We know that there is a black and stormy river called Death, god bids us cross it promising to be with us and after death what cometh what wonder! what wonder world will open up upon our astonished sight what scene of glory will be unfolded to our view no traveler has ever returned to tell but we know enough of the heavenly land to make us welcome i'm sorry to make us welcome our summons thither with joy and gladness the journey of death may be dark but we we may go forth on it fearlessly knowing that god is with us as we walk through the gloomy valley and therefore we need fear no evil we shall be departing from all we have known and loved here but we shall be going to our father's house to our father's home where jesus is to that royal city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is god this shall be our last removal to dwell forever with him we i'm sorry to dwell forever with him we love in the midst of his people, in the presence of God. Christian, meditate much on heaven. It will help thee to press on, and to forget the toil of the, the way. This veil of tears is but the pathway to the better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. Prepare us, Lord, by grace divine, for thy bright courts on high. Then bid our spirits rise and join the chorus of the sky. All right, now we're going to get into our reading for the day. We're going to start, we're going to read Exodus 26 and 27 and then move on into Matthew, Psalms, and Proverbs. So Matthew 26, hear the word of the Lord. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material. You shall make them with cherubim, the work of a skillful designer. The length length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the width of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall have the same measurement. Five curtains shall be joined to one another, and the other five curtains shall be joined to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the one set, and likewise you shall make them on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make fifty loops in the one curtain, and you shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite each other. You shall make fifty clasps of gold, and you shall join the curtains to one another with the clasps, so that the tabernacle will be a unit. Then you shall make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make eleven curtains in all. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall have the same measurements. And you shall join five curtains by themselves, and the other six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front of the tent you shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the one set and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set you shall make fifty clasps of bronze and you shall put the clasps into the loops and join the tent together so that it will be one unit the overlapping part that is left over in the curtains of the tent the half curtain that is left over shall lap over the back of the tabernacle The cubit on one side and the cubit on the other, of what is left over in the length of the curtain of the tent, shall lap over the sides of the tabernacle, on one side and on the other, to cover it. You shall make a covering for the tent of ram skins, dyed red, and a covering of porpoise skins above. Then you shall make the boards for the tabernacle of acacia wood, standing upright, ten cubits shall be the length of each board, and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There shall be two tenons for each board, fitted to one another. Thus you shall do for all the boards of the tabernacle. You shall make the boards for the tabernacle twenty boards for the south side. You shall make forty bases of silver under the twenty boards, two bases under one board for its two tenons, and two bases under the under another board for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty boards, and their forty bases of silver, two bases under one board and two bases under another board, for the rear of the tabernacle to the west. You shall make six boards. You shall make two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear they shall be separated beneath but together <coughs> excuse me but together at their completion at its top at the first ring thus it shall be with both of them they shall form the two corners there shall be eight boards with their bases of silver 16 bases two bases under one board and two bases under another board then you shall make bars of acacia wood 5 for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and 5 bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and 5 boards for the boards of the side of the tabernacle, for the rear side to the west. The middle bar and the center of the board shall pass through from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan, which you have been shown in the mountain. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skilful designer. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold on four bases of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasp, and you shall bring in the ark of the testimony here there within the veil, and the veil shall separate from you for you the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the Holy of Holies. You shall set the table outside the veil, and the lampstand opposite the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the doorway of the tint of blue, and purple, and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. You shall make five pillars of acacia for the screen, and overlay them with gold, their hooks also being of gold, and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them exodus 27 and you shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide the altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits you shall make it make its horns on its four corners its horns shall be of the same piece and you shall overlay it with bronze you shall make its pots for removing its ashes and its shovels and its bowls and its flesh hooks and its fire pans you shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make for it a grating, a network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at at its four corners. You shall put it beneath, under the ledge of the altar, so that the net will reach halfway down the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the rings, so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried." You shall make it hollow with planks, as it was shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. You shall make the counter I'm sorry, you shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twisted linen, one hundred cubits long for one side, and its pillars shall be twenty, with their twenty bases of bronze, the hook hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. Likewise for the north side in length, there shall be hangings one hundred cubits long, and its twenty pillars with their twenty bases of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. For the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, with their ten pillars and their ten bases. The width of the court on the east side toward the sunrise shall be fifty cubits the hangings for the one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits with their three pillars and their three bases and for the other side shall be hangings of fifteen cubits with their three pillars and their three bases and as for the gate of the court there shall be a screen of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four bases All the pillars around the court shall be furnished with silver bands, with their hooks of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be one hundred cubits, and the width fifty throughout, and the height five cubits of fine twisted linen, and their bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in all its service, and all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And you shall command the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light, to make a lamp burn continually." In the tent of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before Yahweh. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel. Alright, and now Matthew 25, verses 1-30. through 30. <clears throat> Then the kingdom of heaven may be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know the day nor the hour." For it it is just like like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and handed over his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you handed two talents over to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Therefore you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest." Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to every one who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, Psalm 31, verses 1 through 8. For the Choir Director, A Psalm of David In you, O Yahweh, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness protect me. Incline your ear to me. Deliver me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a fortress to save me. For you are my high rock and my fortress. For your namesake you will lead me and guide me. You will bring me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Yahweh, God of truth. I hate those who regard worthless idols, but I trust in Yahweh. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I'm sorry, I went too far that was going into verse 9 all right and proverbs eight verses one through eleven does not wisdom call and discernment give forth her voice at the top of the heights upon the way where the pathways meet she takes her stand beside the gates at the opening to the city at the entrance of the doors she makes a shout to you o men i call and my voice is to the sons of men o simple ones understand prudence and o fools understand a heart of wisdom Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal upright things, for my mouth will utter truth, utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips; all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them; they are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my discipline and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice's fine gold. For wisdom is better than pearls and all desirable things cannot compare with her. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I hope our t- I thank you for the time you spent with me. I hope our time together has been edifying for you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would Im- continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God and God willing. I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to close with today from Valley Vision is called The Grace of the Cross." Grace of the cross. Sorry, having trouble speaking there. Let's pray. O my Savior, I thank Thee from the depths of my being, for Thy wonderful grace and love, in bearing my sin in Thine own body on the tree. May Thy cross be to me as the tree that sweetens my bitter maras, as the rod that blossoms with life and beauty, as the brazen serpent that calls forth the look of faith. By Thy cross crucify my every sin, use it to increase my intimacy with Thyself. Make it the ground of all my comfort, the liveliness of all my duties, the sum of all thy gospel promises, the comfort of all my afflictions, the vigor of my love, thankfulness, graces, the very essence of my religion, and by it give me that rest without rest, the rest of ceaseless praise. O my Lord and Savior, Thou hast also appointed a cross for me to take up and carry, a cross before Thou givest me a crown. Thou hast appointed it to be my portion but self-love hates it. Carnal reason is unreconciled to it. Without the grace of patience I cannot bear it. Walk with it, profit by it. O blessed cross, what mercies dost thou bring with thee? Thou art only esteemed hateful by my rebel will, heavy because I shirk thy load. Teach me, gracious Lord and Savior, that with my, cro- that with my cross thou sendest promised grace, so that I may bear it patiently, that my cross is thy yoke which is easy and thy burden, which is light. Amen. Okay, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. And like I said, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, February 7th episode. That's episode 160 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. Um, You can find the Christian podcast community over at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Wonderful, wonderful podcast over there. A lot of good brothers and sisters in christ over there doing great work for the kingdom <clears throat> definitely worth your worth your time to go over there and look for look for other podcasts look look you know that's the thing you find something you want to listen to other than me i'm i'm okay with that um because i've got a number of them on my playlist and i wish i had more um and like i said in the morning segment i'm actually considering trying out something that my pastor does and speeding them up just a little bit so i can listen to them faster so i can do more listen to more of them um listening to them faster not not such that it just blazes through but so that i can still understand them but you know what i mean so you can fit more in a specific amount of time but we'll we'll see whether i'll let you know if that works out however so this evening in our evening segment we're going to continue on in our study of john chapter five we're going to be finishing up our study in John chapter five, so that tomorrow evening, God willing, we'll shift over into John chapter six. We'll start studying in John chapter six and the feeding of the five thousand. Um, but this evening, we're going to go ahead and finish up with our the, with our section about the Messiah and His witnesses. So, with all that said, let's go ahead and get started. I would encourage you to still uh, remember the link in the bottom of my show notes for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. Uh, Please go ahead and click on the link. You can read about what we're doing. And again, we only ask three things of you that you pray for us. And it'll explain why we're, we're trying to get our mortgage pay. Well, I'll go ahead and go via breeze. Like I usually do. Uh, We're trying to pay off our mortgage rapidly so that we can commence establishing a Christian classic education based school for our community. So we have an alternative for our parents and grandparents out here to, for their children. Um, So again, go ahead and click on the link. It'll do a better job explaining it than I do. Um, But we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we would ask that you pass the link along so others can do the same thing. All right. So let's go ahead and let's jump right in. We're going to go ahead and open up again with another Valley of Vision prayer. This one is called the Divine Will. So let's pray. Oh Lord, I hang on Thee. I see, believe, live. When Thy will, not mine, is done, I can plead nothing in myself, in regard of any worthiness and grace, in regard of Thy providence and promises, but only Thy good pleasure. Excuse me, but only Thy good pleasure. If Thy mercy makes me poor and vile, blessed be Thou. Prayers arising from my needs are preparations for future mercies. Help me to honor Thee by believing before I feel for great is the sin if i make feeling a cause of faith show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love help me to humble myself for past evils to be resolved to walk with more care for if i do not walk holily before thee how can i be assured of my salvation it is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant know thy will are pardoned and healed who by faith who by faith and depend and rest upon grace, who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith, and so find thy will, by leaning hard on thy rich free mercy, by believing thou wilt give what thou hast promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift, so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several, deg- several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun, it is imperfect and must grow, as chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes. So shall I wait thy will, pray for it to be done, and by thy grace become fully obedient. Amen. Oh, what a wonderful prayer. All right, our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 7th. The text is Revelation eleven twelve, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Without considering these words and their prophetical connection, let us regard them as the invitation of our great forerunner to his sanctified people. In due time there shall be heard a great voice from heaven to every believer saying, Come up hither. This should be to the saints the subject of joyful anticipation. Instead of dreading the time when we shall leave this world to go unto the Father, we should be panting for the hour of our emancipation. Our song should be, my heart is with him on his throne and ill can brook delay each moment listening for the voice rise up and come away we are not called down to the grave but up to the skies our heaven-born spirits should long for their native air yet should the celestial summons be the object of patient waiting our god knows best when to bid us come up hither we must not wish to antedate the period of our departure i know that strong love will make us cry O Lord of hosts, the waves divide, and land us all in heaven. But patience must have her perfect work. God ordains with accurate wisdom the most fitting time for the redeemed to abide below. Surely if there could be regrets in heaven, the saints might mourn that they did not live longer here to do more good. O for more sheaves for my Lord's garner, more jewels for his crown, but how unless there be more work? True, there is the other side of it, that living so briefly, our sins are the fewer. But oh, when we are fully serving God and he is giving us to scatter precious seed and reap a hundredfold, we would even say it is well for us to abide where we are. Whether our master shall say go or stay, let us be equally well pleased so long as he indulges us with his presence. Well, if that doesn't say it, nothing does, or um. As gentlemen said when I preach, and I'm not saying that about my preaching, but it was something I had not heard before, that uh, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing between uh, wanting to be with Christ. But wanting to do all the good works here that we've been set here to do, to bring one more, to bring the gospel to one more person so that they come to a saving faith in Christ. Even Paul had that problem. To live as Christ, but to die is gain, you know, um, and he had to, he had to deal with that. All right. So, and so do we. So, like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter five. Um, let's see. So, uh, you know, we, we've been continuing on here. Um, like we've said, and I, and I keep kind of running back through all of chapter five because it's all in a context. Um, like we're going to see in chapter six, chapter five and chapter six kind of have the same structure. Chapter five has a miracle at the beginning, which leads to a, a discourse about Christ. Um, in, in this case, um, it's a discourse. we've, we've had, he's, he's healed the lame man, the man who's been lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. He heals him. But like we see, we saw the Jewish leadership, the Jews as John the Apostle refers to them, we see them be more concerned about the violation of the rabbinical law, not God's law, the rabbinical law that they've created, instead of being amazed at, at this um miracle and, and and at what this miracle attests to, that this is the Christ before them. Um and so we see here, you know, they 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 they, they want to persecute Jesus and he responds to them. And, and so we end up, like I've said before, we have this little impromptu trial that pops up. And again, we've seen Jesus, well, we've seen Jesus um, shows himself very clearly. He makes clear that he's equal with God. He shows that equality, makes it very, very clear. Because he continues to try to show them, I am the Christ, the Son of God. He shows them. And, and, and testifies to them that he has the power for both the spiritual and the physical resurrection. And that he's been given that authority to do so, that it is the authority of God. And we see him proceed to then um, call witnesses as if he's in a trial. And we've talked about that before, especially in their time. But even in our time, the strength of an, of an actual witness and a witness that can be backed up by more than one. And we see Jesus call multiple witnesses. Um, and he calls himself, but he makes clear, listen, yeah, I'm attesting about myself. He he refers to himself, but he goes, okay, if if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. And like I told you, that didn't mean that what he was saying was false. What it meant was that his testimony was not enough by itself to make the case. But he goes on and calls more. He calls John the Baptist as a witness. He, he brings up John the Baptist, and this is John the Baptist that they've already gone to. And, and, and asked and John the Baptist has made clear to them, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in reference to Christ in Christ is right there. Jesus is right there. And he's saying that, you know, he, he goes on and says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He's making clear he's the forerunner and this, this follower, this one, he can't inside the sandal. They understand these references. He's saying clearly to them, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And then we've got Jesus's works himself. We see the general works of his life, that he lives a sinless life that nobody else can do very clearly. And they they know this. They've, they've seen this. I mean, this country is not that big. Israel is not that big. And And of course, as soon as he comes out and proceeds to start preaching, people would have dug in to find out about this guy. I mean, even then, I know we do it now and social media goes nuts and people try to cancel and all of that, but it would have happened back then Um, because this is a relatively tight knit country, even at this point, even after the inter, after they've come back from the exile in the intertestamental period, it's still relatively close, but then we also see the miracles and what he's performed this, this point, and he's actually done much more than this. But these are the ones that John has documented. And, and John documented eight specific ones. But there are others that occur. Even John refers to them that there are others going on. But those are you'll find those in the synoptics. When you when you meld them all together, you'll find those in the synoptics. But even the ones that are just in John are enough. In John 2, he changes the water to wine. And John four, he heals the nobleman's son. And John five, the chapter we're in, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. Wow, sorry, was having trouble there. And of course, he's done others, and those testify to the deity of Jesus. The, The fact is, his life, he's he's met. All those prophecies, 100-plus prophecies, and it's probably much bigger than that, but I've just never gone and dug up the number recently. Um, I knew it before, and and I've forgotten. I'm getting old, starting to manifest those characteristics. But, you know, again, his works testify themselves of the fact that he is the Christ. It's very, very clear. And then he calls up, he calls the Father himself. And we see the Father twice. Um, the, and you can find it other other places, but where I've quoted from is Matthew three sixteen and seventeen. After Jesus is baptized, the Father goes the, from heaven goes. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's one direct testimony from God, and then a Luke nine thirty five. This is on the hill, uh, the Mount of Transfer, Transfiguration. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And he points out clearly that these people have obviously not seen God. They obviously do not truly know God, or they would believe Jesus. Since the father clearly testifies about him and his deity, which brought us to the final witness, which was the scriptures. And we've worked our way through the search and the reproof, the search there, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. And again, he is like I said, he's lauding them. Yes, you dil- diligently search in them looking for eternal life, but you're missing the fact that these point to me as the provision for that eternal life. And he goes on, you know, in verse 40, we see the reproofs, um, verse 40 through 44. They won't come to him. They refuse to. Um, and he calls them out that they that they don't have a love of God in in them, in themselves. And, and we see that. We, we see that throughout the Gospels. They love themselves more than they love God, if they love God at all. Um, and he and he calls them out for the fact that he has come in the Father's name. He hasn't come to gain um, honor for himself. He's call, come to bring honor to God. And they'll accept somebody who's trying to honor themselves before they'll take listen to somebody who's bringing honor to God. And that's what he calls them out for very clearly. So finally we come to, and what what is our part of the scripture we're dealing with tonight is the accusation. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verse 39 through 47, and then we're going to deal with the last three verses. So I read the whole section about the scripture in context. So we approach this this way. So John 5, verse 39, hear the word of the Lord. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hopes, your hope, excuse me. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? <laughs> if that doesn't call out, if that's not a clear accusation, I don't know what else is. In these last three verses, Jesus brings out Moses to to accuse them. Jesus indicates that he will not, he will not accuse them before the father because Moses himself does that. that Jesus doesn't even need to need to accuse them because Moses will do it himself. And he pointed out, we see him there, this, the one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hopes that they've tried to base everything they do off Moses that they've tried to, and, and again, you know, like I talked about the Pharisees the other evening, the Pharisees had a realization and it was a, it was a correct realization. It's really easy for us to bash the Pharisees. And yeah, the Pharisees, by the time of Jesus, by the first century, um, had completely gone off the rails. And one of my phrase, one of the phrases my wife likes to use, but I think it's absolutely appropriate. They'd completely gone off the rails, but when they, when that group was founded, its whole purpose was a realization that there was a complete lack of piety. There was a complete lack of adherence to the law of God, that it had just gone out the window. And it was a striving to bring the people of Israel back to a true worship of God. And that's good. I mean, that's Reformation. That's what we talk about, Reformation. That's good. But the problem is, it got warped. So, so all of that's based off Moses. That's who they based that all on, the Mosaic law and the teachings of Moses, which were the teachings of God through Moses. But they claim that they base all that they do on him, that that he is their, even, um, they even talk about, you know, Abraham's our father, but Moses is, is, is who we, you know, is kind of like our senior rabbi kind of thing. I mean, it's that kind of inference that they make throughout the gospels. So his teachings are who they set their hope in, the teachings of God through him. But Jesus calls them out very clearly. That if they really believed it, he says it in 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And he did. We see it very clearly. He calls him, and I, I did not put the verse down. Well, I'm not going to go hunting for it now. But he actually calls out to them and says, A prophet will come from among, uh, from among your seed, and, and he will be like me. And he's speaking of the Christ. It makes very clear he's speaking of the Christ. He's speaking of the Messiah. But what he's saying, if you truly believe what Moses wrote, you would believe what I'm telling you. And so that's that final point there in verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, if they don't truly believe the writings of Moses, and that's the thing, they can say they base themselves off what they did. And maybe at one point the Pharisees did, the Sadducees did. But what we're seeing by this point in their confrontation of Christ is the only thing they care about Is their own rules, their own laws, their own power, um, lining their own pockets, um, taking care of themselves, getting their own honor, their own glory, their own best places, their own best clothes, you name it. That's all they care about. They can claim Moses all they want to. But that's not who it's founded on. If it was, they would believe what Jesus said they would believe the testimonies he's brought they would believe the witnesses he's brought forward including his own witness to himself but again he makes clear that their their scriptural diligence as laudable as it is is only for themselves it's not about honoring god and so he makes clear but i know you verse 42 I'm going back to verse 42 but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves and we see him call that out and specify that in detail in verses 45 through 47 that Moses himself accuses them because if they believe if they really loved God they would really believe Moses and if they really believed Moses they would believe in the Christ and they would have a saving faith in the Christ in the messiah You can't tell me that with all their learning, they don't know that this is the guy the Messiah is calling. And again, this is just my opinion, but I honestly believe this is willful ignorance. This is a willful choice to not believe this man because they don't want to give up their power. That's how they behave. That's how they behave. Again, there's nothing specifically documented in here that, in the Gospels that say that, but I, but I can't help but feel that way. And again, my feelings don't matter. But it really comes across that way, that as learned as they are supposed to be, how can they not know that this is the Messiah? So, of course, the question we ask is, so how, how does that matter to you and I? And I'm going to be blunt about it. How many, and I'll go ahead and call them by what they are, how many cults out there today have put their faith in carrying out actions with their true hearts being pointed at earning accolades, honor, and consideration from man, not God, at at taking care of themselves, at at showing self-love, at honoring self, at caring for self, not about honoring God. And I'm sorry, the chief end of man? I finally remembered it from last night. The the Westminster shorter catechism, question one. The chief end of man. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Period. If we are truly Christians, if we are truly what we claim to be, if we like like in these guys, if these guys were truly who they claim to be, if they were truly disciples of the worship of God, truly and I'm not saying his disciples, please don't misunderstand me, but, but these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they, they would be disciples of that faith. If they were truly, truly carrying out God's faith and truly manifested the love of God, which Christ obviously makes clear they didn't, then they would be seeking to honor God first before everything else. But again, how many cults out there, and I'm, I'm calling them that, they they can claim what they want to but but the fruit they manifest makes clear that they they're more focused on earning accolades and honor and consideration and, and and benefit and and cultural acceptance rather than the honor of God. And I'll list them here and I'm gonna upset some people and I'm sorry but this is fact. Catholicism, Islam, Mormonism the Hebrew Roots Movement, the Prosperity Gospel folks out there, name it and claim it, the New Apostolic Reformation, and even groups within supposedly evangelical circles. How often do we, even though we claim to believe the Bible and claim to believe in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, truly walk through our Sunday worship and weekly Bible study and regular reading and devotion with a heart, truly pointed at maintaining some level of respect or consideration from our fellow man or from those within our family but without a heart that is truly sold out to god i mean i'm not kidding you i i've i've seen too many churches that claim that they love god that claim that they worship god that 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 claim to be evangelical that that claim to be reformed well not necessarily reformed because some of them would be like ah, an, anathema but but truly claim to worship God. But in all the supposed public works they do, they don't share the gospel. My question has to be, what do you think you're doing? I'm not saying that the social works you're doing don't need to be done. But what I am saying is if you're not out there sharing the gospel, then you're not doing God's work. You are not glorifying God and enjoying him forever. You are not not being obedient to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, making disciples of all nations, because the place we start making those disciples is right here outside our front door. Heck, sometimes it's inside the front door in our own families. We have a command to do that, and that needs to take place in everything we do the fact is we're we're going to um part of our church is going to be going out to a, to a local kind of festival here and we're going to be sitting out there we're going to have a booth out there and we're going to be sharing the gospel with people we're going to be answering some questions and sharing the gospel with folks and don't get me wrong i'm nervous about it because sometimes i struggle with that i can as much as it sounds goofy because i do this i can be very timid towards people i don't know i can be i can preach from a pulpit it's 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 a different dynamic but going one-on-one with people sometimes, I can be a little timid. I'm not proud of it. I'm actually very disgusted by it because it's like, what, you stand in the pulpit and you don't have the guts? You can't man up enough and pull your britches up enough to go one-on-one? And it, and I question myself, do I really love love God so little and love my fellow man so little that I can't be bothered? But that's what these guys are manifesting. They don't love God and they don't love their fellow man. They love themselves. That's what we're seeing here. If they truly love God, truly love their fellow man, and truly believed in Moses, truly believed what Moses taught and cared what Moses taught, they would believe Christ. That's what these verses are saying. That's what Christ is calling them out. That is the accusation here. And it's easy to call them out. But the fact is we do the same thing. We may do it in different ways. I mean, we're not standing there on the street corner in the market, sitting there trying to figure out a way to kill him. Though, honestly, if you and I were back in those days and we were part of the Pharisees, we'd have been, I mean, I'm sorry. I would have been part of them. I've, I've long moved away from the fact where I used to, I, I very early on in my Christian in my Christian walk, I, I was the idea of corporate sin really, really bothered me. Cause I'm like, I'm not Adam. And if I'd been there, I wouldn't have done that. Well, it, it didn't take a long for me to realize I'd have done worse than Adam and Eve ever did. (laughs) I believe me. I would have done worse Um, to to read about Peter and go, geez, I wouldn't have done what Peter. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I would have been so much worse than Peter. I really would have. Um, So I would have been just as bad as them. And we are in our own ways in this world. diligently delving into the scripture, which we are called to do. That's not an option. I know way too many of us. We pull out our Bible to go to church on Sunday. We pull out our Bible to go to Bible study. If we do a Bible study once a week and we don't open it any other time, that's not acceptable. We are to be diligent students as Christ lauds them about in verse 39. We are to be those diligent students, but by being those diligent students, We have to see that Moses is pointing to the Christ and he's pointing to the Christ honoring God, coming and doing all that he's doing to honor God and in honoring God to provide for our salvation. And if we truly don't know that he's honoring God, we truly love God instead of ourselves. And thus we truly believe what Moses brought forward and what was created from the law of God that was put forward through Moses and believed in that and believe in the prophecies and truly understand as Christ has been showing through these witnesses that he is the Christ, the son of God, then we have to manifest that. We have to manifest that. We've got to turn away from, I'm sorry, it is sin for you and I to put the focus on ourselves first. That is an idol. That is an idol. And I know it took me a while to realize that. Um, I'm not a very bright Christian. So <laughs> it took a while for that to register. But even putting myself before God, even putting my own desires before honoring God is an idol and a sin and worthy of death. We've got to repent of that. We've got to turn away from that. And we've got to believe the words of Christ as we see Him here in the scriptures. We have got to know that he is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing in him, we would have eternal life. That's the whole purpose. As I've said before, that's the whole purpose of this gospel. And this bringing of the witnesses, this whole discourse by Jesus should hammer home to us the fact that we've got to believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, and and that the Christ of the Bible is the Christ, the son of God. The Jesus of the Bible is the Christ, the son of God. Not the Jesus we want it, want him to be. Not this watered down Jesus where we only take bits and parts. Even of the red letter, we only take bits and parts of that because the other, other ones are too confrontational. And it's not winsome enough. We've got to know that the Jesus of the Bible is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior. The one who gave himself to pay the debts we can't. So that we can stand holy and blameless, draped in his righteousness before a just God. And I would beg you to be those diligent, those diligent, diligent readers of the scriptures, studiers of the scriptures as the Pharisees were. But I would beg you and I I beg myself every day that we would truly, truly manifest a love of God over a love of ourselves. And a belief in the Jesus of the Bible. That he is the Christ. The son of God. So that we would have life in his name. All right. Let's go ahead and close this evening. We're going to go go ahead and close with the third day evening prayer. It's called before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy name most excellent. Thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee. 10,000 times 10,000 stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to Thee, Keeper of Souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I know I got a little bit, a little bit boisterous there, but it it just it's so critical and so urgent. We don't know when he's coming, and so we have to act as if he's coming right now. And so we've got to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've got to have a true saving faith in that. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. And God willing, we will uh, get going and our, we'll move on in our study and we'll be in John chapter 6. Have a great evening. God bless.